we have to consider ourselves in our life and we have to remember that what we need matters. Many of us are trained to care more about the needs of others than ourselves. We're taught things like it is selfish to have a preference. It doesn't make sense. Go along with it, what everyone else is doing. There is a lot of learning and teaching around being passive. There's a lot of teaching around it being rude or it being mean to say certain things. You can't say no. I mean, I heard that so much as a, as a kid. It was like... Why not? I mean, it's an option. I always tell my clients, if someone asks you a yes or no question, both of those responses are possible. <laughs> so you can say yes or no. Now, there may be one response that they do not like, but it was a question. And so you have two options, not just one. It's not always yes. It can also be a no. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Nedra Glover-Tawab. She is a licensed therapist and sought-after relationship expert. Every day, she helps people create healthy relationships by teaching them how to implement boundaries. Her philosophy is that a lack of boundaries and assertiveness underlie most relationship issues, and her gift is helping people create healthy relationships with themselves and others. She is also the New York Times bestselling author of the book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. So Nedra, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to, to chat with you because so many people, I think we understand the importance of boundaries, but I think so many people struggle with either how to get started or how to know if they need to set a boundary in a certain area of their life or even maintaining their boundaries. But I guess I have a personal question for you is that like in the last few months, like what's been an area of your life where you've either had to look back and say, you know, I need to do a better job of maintaining this boundary of mine, or maybe there's a new boundary that needs to be set. Well, the book came out last March and Immediately, I started doing more interviews, more podcasts, more appearances. And after about two weeks, I noticed that I was having some headaches and I had to cut back on saying yes. And I thought I was doing a really good job of being strategic about, no, I can't. Yes, I can. That sort of thing. But apparently not enough. And so now I have to think about, wow, I really can't do more than four interviews in a day or talk to more four people about things because my job is really to be a therapist and to listen. And so I'm not used to talking this much. So talking for five and six hours, it, it really takes a lot of me out of me because a lot of my time is just spent saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, wow. And what did you, you know, like that sort of stuff. So now it's like, oh, wow, this is this is a lot of work that I was not used to. And I have to be strategic about how I'm aligning these other things that I want to do. You brought, you brought up a really good point and thank you for sharing that. And that 
like self-awareness, being self-aware of when something's feeling off, like you mentioned the headaches and just, and feeling like something was, was out of place for you. And then you saying to yourself, all right, I need to adjust and take better care of my time and myself during this time. But there's a lot of people that aren't able to do that. Like a lot of people, I think they, they lack the self-awareness to know if they need to do, do a better job holding a boundary for themselves or with somebody else. So what's a good first step for somebody like, what are some symptoms when somebody should be trying to potentially set a, a boundary in their life for something that's not working? Hesitation, frustration, resentment, physical symptoms of stomach aches, headaches, eye twitches. Those are indicators that something is not going in a way that you would want. Often, we get really frustrated with other people. I can't believe they asked me to do this, or I can't believe my boss is requesting this. Those are areas where you potentially need boundaries. When you are frustrated, you're angry, you're upset, you're experiencing these physical symptoms, that is all you need to know that there is something that I need to do because we can't really operate. And I don't know, maybe some people do. Maybe there is someone who's taking some pain reliever every day because they're working so many hours. I mean, you see it like in, um, what's that movie, uh, Wolf of Wall Street? They wanted to work all day, so they started doing drugs. And it's like, where are the boundaries? <laughs> like, how do we say, I can't work all day, like physically? I cannot do this. It is not good for my body. So the, the signals are there. The indication that something needs to change is there. We have to listen and react to those things. Yeah, and I, I think what one of the hardest things, at least in my own experience, of when I feel like something is off is you feel this sense of, of shame, and then you're like, all right, like, what do I do? Is everybody else feeling this way? And then if you're not careful, you can spiral down. And you mentioned the Wolf of Wall Street and how people are essentially like numbing the pain or the signals that are popping up whenever you need to set a better boundary. So let's like walk through the process. Let's just say that like somebody realizes that they're burnt out and they need to set a better boundary with their time management. Like what are some of the first steps that somebody can do to do that? Because that's something that we all struggle with. I just finished a really good book. I think it was called Time. No, 40 Weeks. 40 Weeks? No, it's hours. Something hours. I don't know. Some book about time. How about that? And the book talks about all of the books that we've read about time first off and how we try to manipulate time to rise up to what we need when actually we just have to accept that we can't do everything. We can't do every 4,000 weeks. That's the name of the book. I knew it, it would come to me. <laughs> but we can't do everything. And we have to focus on prioritizing because there is not enough hours in the day to do it all. But what we try to do is figure out some way to reconfigure time. How can I sleep less? How can I eat quicker? How can I, you know, sleep standing up? Like all of these things when actually what we need to do is do less of stuff to have more time for the things that we actually want to do. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think one of the biggest struggles that people have with with time management, I think comes down to like people pleasing. And they're so used to doing 
tasks. They're so many. They're so used to talking to other people that that becomes like their first like level of that becomes the first thing that gets taken from their energy is is that and that and then people feel like they're stuck in these people pleasing cycles where they can't get out. So like, what are some steps you think somebody can take where they're caught up in the addiction to? being accustomed to just being so available for other people's time that it ends up taking away from their own. We have to consider ourselves in our life and we have to remember that what we need matters. Many of us are trained to care more about the needs of others than ourselves. We're taught things like it is selfish to have a preference. It doesn't make sense. Go along with it, what everyone else is doing. There is a lot of learning and teaching around being passive. There's a lot of teaching around it being rude or it being mean to say certain things. You can't say no. I mean, I heard that so much as a, as a kid. It was like, why not? I mean, it's an option. I always tell my clients, if someone asks you a yes or no question, both of those responses are possible. <laughs> so you can say yes or no. Now, there may be one response that they do not like, but it was a question. And so you have two options, not just one. It's not always yes. It can also be a no. We also have to be okay with hearing that because there are so many people who love to, I, I say no, I do this. But the minute that someone places a boundary with them, it's offensive. They want to end a relationship. They can't believe a person did it. We have to be willing to allow other people to have boundaries with us. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things, though, is when somebody sets a boundary with us is being on the receiving end of that boundary. And I know you talk about that in your book where like essentially like if we're expecting somebody to respect our boundary when we set something, when we draw a line in the, in the sand for a relationship, we have to be okay with when somebody does that with us. Like what are some things you advise people to do when someone sets a boundary with them so that they don't like take that boundary so personally that it ends up damaging that relationship? Listen to what's being said instead of trying to challenge it. Everything is not about you, and it's possible that people are setting boundaries because they need them, not because of who you are. It's it's true because at the end of the day, if that other person who's in the relationship with you or who's your friend is is struggling, they're going to be a better friend or a better partner in that relationship if they're able to take better care of themselves, right? Yeah. Imagine a friend saying to you, I have been so overloaded with work and school and my hair is starting to fall out because I'm so stressed. I won't be able to come over and help you with your thing this weekend. And you saying to this person, after they explain to you all of these things they have going on as a result of stress, you saying, I can't believe you would cancel on me. Right. <laughs> like, I'm losing hair. <laughs> Yeah. How committed do I have to be to this friendship? I'm losing my hair. I, clearly, I'm stressed. And we don't think about that sometimes, that people have a lot going on. I remember when I was in college, I worked and I went to college. On Saturdays, I, I'd taken this all-day Saturday class. And when the class was over, a friend asked me to babysit like every other Saturday. And I was like, no way. <laughs> so, like, 
I'm going to school. I'm, I have this job. Like, I don't really have a lot of time. And I know it seems, particularly when you don't have kids, like you have more flexibility. But it was like, I don't, I, I, I just need to maybe watch TV for that day. Like, I can't commit to doing more. I love the baby. This has nothing to do with you. But I need to say no to this. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you, I think you made a really good point in that, like the way that, like you communicate your boundary is everything. Like you brought up before, like how you essentially laid out how that person's life was, and, and you know, imagine being on the receiving end of that boundary, and then you getting upset with that person for for canceling on them. But I think one of the things that people struggle with the most when it comes to setting the boundaries is articulating it in a way that doesn't sound like too aggressive or too offensive or even just too flimsy. So that way they're able to convey like what's actually really going on in their life and the reason for setting the boundary. So what's what advice do you have for the people that you work with when they're looking to set like a firm boundary with somebody, but it doesn't come off as too offensive? Like how can they position that? Keeping it short and sweet. Sometimes we give people so much unnecessary information. We'll tell them a whole story about something and it's really not getting to the boundary of what the situation is. Not asking for their permission in setting the boundary. And I would say letting them know how this thing is impacting you can be helpful, but not in a way of explaining yourself. Explaining yourself is asking permission. This is why I need the boundary. Will you please let me have it? Because I have so many things going on. I just couldn't help you. When you can let someone know, hey, I have things going on, you know, in another world. If the situation were different, I would love to be able to help you. But unfortunately, I will need this time to to rest. Letting people know that the relationship is important to you and perhaps you can help in another way. There are times where people are trying to take our time to do stuff and you may not have the time, but maybe there is some other way you can help or assist. You may not be able to listen to someone in the moment, but can you schedule a day later that week to say, hey, this is not a good day for me to talk. Let me give you a call Saturday morning. You know, how do we let people know this isn't working for me right now, but this is important to me. I do want to hear about it. I want to help you troubleshoot. Let's postpone this conversation. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This includes Organifi green juice, which I am now using in my smoothies, either after a workout or for a great on-the-go snack. It's loaded with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Cutting down on caffeine is a big initiative of mine as we head into the new year, and Organifi's red juice is going to help me do just that. It's basically a superfood fruit punch that gives me a jolt of energy without the caffeine, and it only has two grams of sugar. If you aren't into smoothies, don't worry. Organifi products are super easy to mix, and you can add one scoop to a glass of water. So go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. On top of all of the 
the troubles that come with like how you set the boundary with somebody, I think what's even more difficult is prepping for that conversation, that difficult conversation with a coworker, with a friend, with a partner. And it's almost like paralysis by analysis. And people just, they don't even feel like setting the boundary because they're so afraid of how that person's going to react. They're so afraid of how it's going to come out. So like, how do you prep your clients to have these difficult conversations with people so that they, they come into the, the conversation you know, in a way that they're confident, they're they're humble, and that they're kind of it, it, coming from a place of love and not like a sense of anger. The best preparation really, honestly, is no preparation. Speaking your boundaries in the moment, because sometimes when we are rehearsing what to say, we can talk ourselves out of it because we're thinking about what the other person would say. If you must rehearse because you have to do some boundary cleanup or you have to address a situation that went wrong, try to stick to the simplest thing you can think of. This happened and this is what I need. Instead of having this conversation in your head, just keeping it to one to two sentences. But the best way to set the boundaries and to have any sort of communication is in the moment. moment. Most of us, don't. we don't do that. I don't always do that. It takes practice to get there. And when I do it in the moment, it feels so much better than having to think about what to say when I call the person and, you know, clean this thing up. Just in the moment, if someone says something about your weight saying, that doesn't sound very nice, please don't say that anymore. Versus how do I tell this person I I hate when they talk about my weight? If they always talk about your weight, they'll do it again. What are some statements that you can make? Um, to let them know that this behavior is not okay. And I think one of the harder, like one of the most challenging things in in situations like like that is when you start to think of, like you said, like overthink it, and then you start to create like this vision of what this person's done to you, then you get even more angry, then you go to have the conversation and all, and all this unintended emotion comes out with the boundary because now you've thought about it for like 20 minutes and how much this person has hurt you. And then like that just gets you aggravated. Right. And it comes across in a more like negative way. So let's say that, you know, you use the example of somebody like talking about like another person's weight and they, they set a boundary with that. And let's just say like two weeks go by and that person makes another comment about their weight. And this is something that's common is when people set a boundary is somebody, you know, steps over the line again. Like what, how should somebody respond in that moment? Stop. I asked you not to say anything about my weight. This is the second time I'm saying it at this point. I wonder if you're listening to me, this is important to me. Please don't say anything about my weight. I think that we have to restate the boundary and let them know that it's something that we've we've said and you know it continues to be important it wasn't just important 2 weeks ago this is an ongoing important thing for me please don't say anything about my weight what i have found with those sort of comments is that people have been violating boundaries for so long that they have to be reacclimated to your new boundary. And so it will take some time for them to understand that a certain behavior is not okay because they've been able to do it. And so now you are teaching them that it's not okay to do it. So they are unlearning and 
you know, just like with any habit, when we start new stuff, it can be a little challenging to really stick to this new thing that we start. And that's how it is for them. Like this is a new thing that we're requiring of them. So they may not get it right away. And it may not be malicious that they're not able to remember what your boundary is. And I and I hopefully with something that's kind of more malicious when somebody goes after somebody's weight or makes negative comments about their appearance, they're able to stop a bit sooner because that is something that's just flat out like disrespectful and mean. But maybe another boundary that could be violated that is more – I mean, I guess it's just a bit more harmless is like somebody's time where if you're setting a boundary with a friend that always calls you when they're struggling and you've had to set a boundary because you're emotionally drained and that friend still continues to text you or reach out to you because they're going through it. Like I think that's where things become challenging because it's it's not really anything that's attacking your character. It's just draining your time. Is there a different way to handle that to give that other person on the other side of the boundary some grace, like you said, and that it's going to take some time to adjust to that boundary? The best thing to do when you've set the boundary of, wow, this is a lot for me to digest and I don't have the capacity to do it, is to provide a resource to them because you've been their resource. I wonder who else could be their resource. Perhaps their resource is a therapist. Perhaps their resource is another professional. I'm often surprised in friendships how we will go to people for any type of information. I will talk to my friend who's a manager at the bank about tax stuff. I will talk to her about car stuff. I will talk to her about baby stuff. I mean, we're just talking about, and I mean, we could go on and on and I can't believe this plant, you know, and, and all of this stuff. And it's like, are you talking to the right person? Because you won't get any further in this situation if you're not even speaking to the person who could properly help you. Now it is true. Sometimes we just want to vent. But venting all the time to the same person who has expressed that they cannot take that information in, we have to find other resources. There are tons of people who love to hear us vent. There may be a professional. There may be other friends. You have to consider those sort of resources. But yes, in friendships in particular, there is a lot of pressure to be an expert at many different things that you have no clue about. And so I'm very comfortable saying, have you called a mechanic? Did you call, <laughs> do you do you have an accountant? <laughs> so like, do you, I, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to a lot of the things that's happening, but I do know an accountant. I do know an auto body shop who could help you with that dent that you have in your door. We don't need to talk about the dent for 30 minutes because I can't really help you with the dent. Now, we could talk about what happened, how you flung the door open, that sort of thing. But in terms of repair, that would not be me. You brought up a really good point and a good idea that, you know, if, if for people to understand that if they've been that soundboard, they've been that person that this person in their life or the person in a relationship with has been leaning on for such a long time that that like they're used to that. So giving them a resource that's an alternative is super helpful and can actually like help bridge that gap and make them feel more supported because 
you're not just saying, I don't have time to talk to you. You're kind of conveying like, I don't have the energy or however you're framing it. But here's something that I took the time to find that could potentially help you out. And they feel that like, oh, like this person kind of still cares. I want to get into like another area where so many people struggle with boundaries. I mean, I've been in recovery from addiction for, for over 13 years, and I have a lot of parents that will reach out to me about their kids. And I'm sure this this can be interchangeable where if it's just a, a loved one or somebody they're in a relationship with, but you hear so many times parents that continue to just give their kid chance after chance after chance despite like this kid or this person in their life disrespecting their boundaries and just taking advantage of them or lying to them and manipulating them in certain ways. And, and parents are often confused on what to do because they're, they're torn between the love they have for their kid, but also their own mental health. So how do you advise people when they come to you in situations like this? Or what advice would you have for a parent or somebody who has a loved one who's struggling with addiction? Well, addiction is a really tough topic, as you know, and within the addiction, there can be a lot of codependency because parents are constantly analyzing how they contributed, what they can do more of, how they can change this person. And really, it is up to the person to want that help and to change. And as a parent, it is hard to let go of the outcome when you are so insistent on controlling it. With addiction, not only is it important for the addict to get help, it's important for the family to get help. So that that person who's reaching out to you to say, what do I do for my child? That's a wonderful space to go to therapy because there's a lot you need to do for yourself as a result of having this child that is living a life that you can't even conceive. There's a lot of work for you to do on you. And I know it seems like, oh, if they just stop, you will still have the trauma associated with this experience. So that is a lot of stuff for you as the parent to work through. And there are tons of books. Um, one book I recommend often, I'm not going to get this title wrong. Um, it's a codependent no more. Codependent No More is one, but also The Complete Family Guide to Addiction. That is one of my favorite books because it really talks you through the entire process of how to help a family member, how to help yourself, what is enabling versus um, actually being helpful to someone. And it's very... I want to say self-centered because it is about you taking care of you in the process of trying to help this child. So there are tons of things that the person who is seeking help from you, they need to be seeking that help for themselves. Yeah. Amen to that, Nedra. I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the things that that I will tell parents is because I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not in that situation. And honestly, I I would feel completely unqualified to to really give like advice on what somebody should do other than like kind of what you said to make sure that they're taking care of themselves, to make sure they join some sort of support group. There's plenty out there now between Al-Anon, between the on online communities that have been created. 
to get edge for them to get educated, learn about how to communicate with an addict, like all the things, you know, that you kind of just touched on. But let's just say that they do get educated and they do have these conversations with their their child or their kid in a, in a more productive way and things still keep going south. And this is relatable, I think, to any relationship, whether it's somebody who's struggling with addiction or not. It could just be somebody who's continuing to disrespect your boundaries, specifically in a family. Like, is there ever a point that's like, or is there ever a time where you feel or where you, or is there ever a time I should say where somebody should know that it's that time where they should just completely like set a more permanent boundary and cut that person out of their life? Yes, but that time frame is going to be different for all of us. Many people can't even conceive cutting someone who is unhealthy for them out of their lives. Some people will do it because they know they cannot live and have this relationship. And there, you know, there are others who will just stay in a relationship because they are they they just don't feel like they have the power to leave that relationship no matter how um, harmful it is. And we can't determine what that is for people. One question that I typically ask my clients is, tell me why you're trying to keep this relationship. Sometimes people don't have an answer. Their answer is because it's my brother. <laughs> okay. If this person were not your brother, would you have a relationship with them? No. Okay. And they could do whatever they want to with that honesty. Sometimes people will end the relationship and sometimes people won't. won't. It's very hard. I don't ask you to do it because I think that's a choice that you have to make for yourself. Just be aware that the relationship is harmful. It's impacting your life. It's impacting your mental health. There's nothing you can do about this other person. You've reached the end of your boundary setting. You've done everything you can. This is what it will be. Right. And I, and I think you, you brought up a, a term, you know, we talked about a couple of times, like the codependency thing, where when you're asking that your client, like, why are you in this relationship? Or why are you do you want to continue to have this person in your life? And their their only answer is, well, because it's my brother, or because, you know, I love this person, or they're that or whatever. They're also like getting fed, like their self esteem is being validated by fixing this person, by helping this person, by staying involved in this relationship. And so many people feel that like specifically in a romantic setting that if they leave this relationship, that they're not going to find anything better because their self-esteem is has been so beaten down in that relationship, which is why I know you talk a lot about this, like self-care and taking care of yourself is so important, but it's one of the hardest things ever. Specifically, like keeping our own boundaries with ourselves. Like I know for me, one of the things that I'm trying to do a better job of is staying off of social media more. Like I, I feel like I spend so much time on social media too much where it can sometimes leave me unfocused. It can sometimes have me like wondering like what I just did, what I just spent my time doing. So say I'm coming to you and I'm a client and I'm saying that I want to do a better job. I want to limit my social media to an hour a day. And let's just say I set that boundary with myself. Like, how, like, what kind of things do you help people like tell? Like, maybe it's a mindset thing or just different daily tasks so that I would keep that boundary. Hmm. For social media, a few things we can do. Do we have to have it on our phones? 
Another thing is, which I've done, is create a list of all the things I'd rather be doing than using social media. Mine is like reading books. It's looking actually at Pinterest. (laughs) It is planning trips. It is watching a new series. It is reading articles. Like There are tons of things I'd rather be doing. And before, my goal is before I hop on social media, I visit that list and make sure all of those things are, you know, maybe not what I want to do in the moment. It's okay for me to use this time. But also with social media, it's important for us to allocate the time to use the social media so we're not using it passively. If we say in the evening from five to seven, That'll be my social media time. I'm not going to be looking at it all day at work. I'm not going to be, you know, in the bed at nighttime scrolling through stuff. But I will give my time to look at social media, not exclusively, but a bit. That could be a way, I think, removing the app, cutting down on what you're looking at on social media. So if you follow 5,000 accounts and you never reach the end of your feed, you might be scrolling for a while. Trying not to use social media as a search tool because sometimes we're spending time on there. We're using it like Wikipedia or we're using it like Google. (laughs) And it, it, it can be used for that. But if you don't want to be on the tool, don't be on the tool. Taking those relationships offline like it is, if that is your source to connect to maybe friends, acquaintances, this would be a wonderful time to exchange phone numbers, to actually meet up for lunch, to actually have some text conversations and not just to have those sort of connections online. So you really have to get creative around how to build a life with social media in it, but not to have a life that's consumed by social media. And I think it's really important to to definitely set aside like a list of things that you're going to do to replace that habit because you'll find you'll you'll replace it with other things and they might not be the health, healthiest things. You could find yourself just binging Netflix for hours because now you have the free time that you're using to scroll on social media and now you're just using it for some other technology. And I know one of the other things I've heard you say that I think could be really helpful, whether it's somebody, something for myself or when someone else is setting a boundary is to make it super clear. It's like, if I were to say, I'm just going to try to be on social media last, like, what does that even mean? Like, I'm either going to try or I'm going to do it. And I think just setting something firm and almost making a declaration can go a really long way. One of the other things that, that people have a hard time with is, I think, leaving certain friends, where, especially in the personal development space and people who listen to podcasts or even read your book, they're, they're focusing on better, bettering themselves. And maybe they're in a circle of friends that's not bettering themselves and continuing to make poor choices, but they reach a point, this person, that they want to now leave that friend group, but they feel guilty, they feel ashamed, they don't know how to have these conversations, and they'll end up doing one of two things. They'll end up just staying in the friend group, or they'll just like ghost them and not say anything and just kind of disappear and then people wonder what happened to that person. So like if somebody's looking to leave like a group of friends that just aren't bringing the best out in them, like what advice would you have for them? I wonder what is the middle way between ghosting a person and having a difficult conversation. Right. 
I think about our transitions from elementary school, middle school, high school. I don't recall talking to anyone on my last day and saying, hey, guys, I'm going to be going to this middle school and I will not be your friend anymore. (laughs) 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 We're done with this friendship. I'm going to go to a school 20 miles away from here. Bye, old friends. You know, like... (laughs) Yeah, we don't do that. We don't do that. (laughs) You know, like, so do we have to do that as adults or do we just engage in a new part of life as as things come up? We do directly say, oh, no, thank you. I don't want to go go to that. Do we have to say to people, hey, I've noticed that you guys, you only want to watch sports and now I'm really into podcast listening. I don't want to be your friend anymore. Like, do, do we want to do that? Like, what if it's something we want to revisit in the future? Like, maybe it's not working right now for where you are. Do we need to make these declarations of, like, this final sort of, this is it for us? Or is it like, no, no, thank you. Thank you for the invite. Because ghosting is not saying anything. And I think there's a way to respond to people to let them know, you know, uh, you know, that's not my thing anymore. Oh, I actually, I don't want to hang out. We can be very direct with people without maybe stringing them along and all of these sort of things. But also, is there a part of the relationship that's harmful or is it just that you're transitioning away from this because it's not what you need right now? You know, in, in 20 years, I can't imagine that maybe they will be the same, but maybe not. And you can reconvene if you exit the relationship properly. Yeah, and but I, I do think like what happens is people get scared to like have, I mean, even some of these difficult conversations where they're going to say no to going to a certain party or going to a certain bar that they would always go to in the weekends and that they're going to stay home and they're going to like read your book or they're going to listen to a podcast or maybe they're going to go back to school or or whatever. Or like a very common example is somebody who doesn't want to drink anymore and they're at the bar and they're around friends who are just drinking all the time and that they are so afraid of saying no to a drink because of what the other people are going to say. And that becomes a difficult conversation. So instead of saying something, they just don't say anything and then just go about their business. And then you hear well, what happened to so-and-so? Like, what happened to them? You know, I don't think it's ever, I mean, in my experience, when I've had a hard time having these conversations, like you said, finding the middle ground, I've personally, at least in my experience, I've never said, you know, I don't want to be your friend anymore. What I've done, which I think is more negative, is just not really said anything because I've been afraid of like either hurting somebody's feelings by even saying something, you know, slightly close to like, I don't want to be your friend or that I was like, are they going to judge me for me for me saying what I'm about to say or me doing what I'm about to do? And I've gotten a lot better at that over time. But I'm just imagining if I've experienced that, I think a lot of other people have have a hard time with with these difficult situations where they're choosing to spend time with with different activities and people. Yeah, I definitely think that lifestyle matters in friendships. And there can be things, like you mentioned, alcohol, when you don't want to drink anymore and all of your friends are are drinking, it can certainly come across to them as an indictment of their behavior. And that can be true while you say, 
I will not be drinking. You know, if you go to the bar, I also wonder, like with drinking, are there other things we can do? Can we only go to the bar? Are there things we can, you know, maybe do during the day? Can we have a field day and maybe go to a park, kick around a ball? Are there other things that we can do that are not centered around alcohol? Are there things we can do to transition this relationship? And if not, that's fine. But I wonder, are we leaving relationships that could be preserved in some sort of way if we really stand up for ourselves and say, I'm not drinking? Perhaps a person will understand that and they wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, you know, he's ghosting us. It's just like, he won't want to participate in these activities because drinking is involved. Perhaps if we did X, Y, and Z, I would invite him to that. But now that I know that he's not drinking, I will not invite him to the bar. And I think this goes back to just doing the work on ourselves and practicing self-care and, and doing what we can to hi- have a decent level of self-esteem and confidence so that we can still maybe preserve some of these relationships that aren't necessarily harmful to us, but we still don't want to do necessarily what we were once doing with that person or that group of friends like much, much longer or at, at the same level we were. And you're able to say, listen, like, you know, I, I'm not going to be drinking anymore. I, I like spending time with you, you know, from, from now on, like, what if we went for a hike or I know you, you, you like watching sports and that's why you go to the bar. Like, is there a way we can just hang out at your house and watch the football game this Sunday instead of doing it at a bar? And then, like you said, you're able to still kind of preserve that relationship, honor your own boundary of not being at a place where everybody in that room is drinking and then you feel better about yourself because you've kept a person in your life that you've invested a lot of time with and that was actually a good person. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of people that are single, right? And a lot of people that are looking to get into relationships. And I know one of the things that you say, there's two things you say destroy relationships, communication and boundaries. What? How can somebody prep to be able to know what their boundaries are before dating, before getting into a relationship so that... They don't get themselves into a position where their boundaries are just being, you know, violated, whether they know it or not. This goes back to what we talked about earlier, self-awareness. This is not your first dating experience. What hasn't worked in the past? What has worked in the past? Use those things and apply them going forward. We don't have to make the same mistake twice. If you know that you really dislike it when, blank, 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 you know, just apply that to this new relationship. I do this exercise and it's actually in my workbook, but I do this exercise with my clients when they're dating, red flags, green flags, and yellow flags. This is going to be different for everybody. What I consider a yellow or red flag is going to be different. My green flags, yours, all of this is going to be different. So I don't have a set list of this is a green flag because we determine that. A lot of those things are based on what you've experienced in your old relationships. Why did you break up with your ex? Those are probably the red flags. What things disturbed you for most of the relationship? Those are probably the yellow flags. What did you love about this person? Those are probably the green flags. (laughs) So the, the work has already been done. If you don't have a lot of dating experience, take what you've heard from other people and apply it and say, okay, this is a green flag. This is yellow. This is red. We know that red means stop. Yellow means proceed with caution and green means go. 
Or if you're like Doug Bopes, you use the you change the uh, red light to green light by yourself, and then <laughs> don't do that. I'm, I'm that light is still red. Don't you do it? Just, or you run the stop sign. <laughs> don't. I'm do. kidding. Well, that's what we do. We yeah. run the stop sign, and yeah. and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did. It's like, oh, they've been doing this since like the second date. I know. Yeah, because what do they say? The, the main the main red flags to you at the beginning are ultimately the red flags that end up, you know, yes. ending the relationship. What are the things that, uh, other than boundaries, that is important for relationships? I've heard you talk about is communication, and I think it's super easy to communicate with your partner when things are going really, really well and you're getting along. But when things get dicey and the relationship gets tested, is when conflict arises, and typically this is when someone's boundaries has been violated. So is there a process that you advise, you know, whether it's a couples you're working with or individuals you're working with on how to navigate conflict in a way that's actually going to make the relationship better versus worse? Look at conflict as a learning experience. We don't learn without problems. We have to have some, some failures, some trial and tribulation like we it's a, no one wants to watch a great movie about a great day you know like you want something in there to kind of zhuzh it up a bit that is the part of your relationship that really helps you grow when you can disagree about things and do better the next time hopefully the things that you disagree about are new and different it is a problem when you're constantly talking about the same thing over and over. But as long as our disagreements are new and different, like, huh, we've never really talked about this. Like, this hasn't been a thing. We're learning to exist with another person. We don't know everything about a person, even if we've been with them tons of years. They're changing. We're changing. My preferences change. Like, things happen. We evolve in our relationships. And that is going to require some difficult and uncomfortable conversations sometimes. But those things are opportunities for growth. It's not a bad thing. Perspective is everything, right? Like if you're looking at the conflict, every time you have a conflict is that, oh my gosh, we're going to break up or this is the end of our friendship or our relationship, then you're going to go into that timid, scared, you're going to be people pleasing, you're going to give into the other person's boundaries, and then you're going to feel even worse and worse about yourself. So I, I think a lot of times people are super black and white with things where they were they're going from setting zero boundaries to now they're setting all these boundaries, and they're so rigid and stiff, and there, there's no room for compromise anymore. Like when should somebody compromise with a boundary? Like is there ever a time and place, whether it's like showing up to family dinners or whether it's, you know, with their partner? Like, is there ever a time where that is healthy? Compromise is healthy when you can live with it. I'm in the middle of planning a girl's trip with about six girls and they're throwing out all these cities and I haven't responded. They said, what do you think? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care where we go. Yeah, I don't I don't have a, it. It. it you know, it doesn't move me either way. Now, I may really care about uh, the type of pillow do they have? Are they are they feather pillow? Like maybe there is something I really care about, but we don't care about everything and we don't have to pretend to care. So when it comes to compromise, 
we don't have to have an issue with everything. There are some things we we really value, learn, learn your values. And those are the areas where you really push for things to be a certain way. And other areas, if it's if it's not really a big deal what time you leave for the party, don't, you know, it's, is it your friend's party? Is something happening at the beginning? You know, really think about like, is this a time to really stand my ground or is is this something that I really don't care about? You brought up a really good point and that is you have to be comfortable with whatever compromise you're making because if you're not and you just do it, then you're just falling back into the same old pattern and then you're going to end up being resentful like later because in your gut, like you really knew like it was just something you didn't want to do. And I think it's really important to to stay true to that because otherwise like things will fester and an initial short-term problem of just communicating like something you maybe weren't aligned with or you had a difficult conversation turns into this longer problem that ends up blowing up in the relationship like months or years later. So Nedra, I could talk to you all day about this stuff because I think it's fascinating. I think it's important. I think it's challenging. I think we all struggle with boundaries. Like we, we even shared some of the things that you're working on at the beginning. But I do want to be mindful of our time together and also want to point people to where they can buy your books, they can follow you if they want to connect with you more. So where's the best place for them to do that? On social media, on Instagram, my account is Nedra Tawab. I have two books, um, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, and I have the workbook to accompany that book, which is the Set Boundaries workbook. I have a website, nedratawab.com, and it's full of resources to help you not only with boundaries, but also relationships and mental health. Amazing. Well, I will make sure to put the links to buy your books and connect with you on social media in the show notes. And for those listening, I really want you to to listen to this episode. And when you're listening to it, take some notes. And there's going to be a lot that you're going to want to press the pause button and write down that something that Nedra said about setting boundaries, about upholding boundaries, about self-care, whatever it was. What I want you to also do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that she said about what she's working on. Maybe it was something we talked about in terms of relationships or addiction. And whatever that takeaway was, make sure you tag Nedra tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.